question is, what is something meaningful that happened in your life this last year? What is something meaningful that happened in your life this last year? Now, when you look back over the year, you may or may not have trouble remembering what happened, <laughs> but what is something meaningful? And I know the word meaningful can be described in different ways, but what comes to mind for you? When I think about what's been meaningful in my life this year, I realize that it's been meaningful how I have reconnected or connected in deeper ways with people in my life, even though we haven't been able to be physically together. That just feels really meaningful in such an odd way that I would have never expected, of course. Another really meaningful thing in my life has been, some of you know this, but my husband and I bought a new house, and this is our first together house, okay? So this is the first house we bought together since we've been married, uh, not quite four years yet. And if you've been in that awesome opportunity, it's such a privilege to be able to do that. And so it's really meaningful to us that we get to buy a house together and create a space for people to come and spend time with us, which is not what we have in our small house right now. And then uh, one other thing that came to my mind when I thought about what was meaningful, and I can't wait to read your answers online, but I feel that it was meaningful this year that there were so many times and opportunities for me to experience my heart being broken for the things that break God's heart. So the, the many sorrows and pains of this year brought up to the surface the realities of what so many people experience. And just feeling this connection with my heart to know that God cares about these things too, it was really, really tough. But it was really meaningful, if I'm being honest, that I felt that experience of my heart breaking in some ways. Um, not something I would wish upon myself, but at the same time, it was really meaningful. I noticed something, and that is that oftentimes the most difficult times in life are the most meaningful as well. Have you noticed this before? The most difficult times in life are often the most meaningful. It's almost kind of like, why does it have to be that way? But maybe when you look back on your life, you look back and you say, yeah, when times were tough, there was a depth of meaning there at times. I'm not sure if that's been your experience this year, but as we look back on 2020 and as we approach 2021, I think when we look back, it, there's a lot that still doesn't make sense about 2020. That's what I would say, at least. Out of all the things that have happened, some of it just doesn't make any sense to me. But I hope you have found some meaning in the midst of it all. Something that I do every year as the new year approaches, I've done it for many years now, is just take some time intentionally to look back over the year and just to, to process all that has happened. And so this year, when I took some time to just go through and think back over the year that 2020 has been, just a couple weeks ago, uh, let me just say it was different than it ever had been before. <laughs> it took me like three hours to think through all that has happened. When I first sat down to do it, I actually couldn't recall a bunch of things that happened. It was like all of October was blanked out. Everything from January and February of 2020, it's like that didn't happen. And so I had to sit down and then I had to pull up my calendar and my social media and, and random things like that to help me recall the things that had happened and recognize what had happened over the year. And so I actually this year made a timeline and I'll show it to you here. Uh, and and I, I used four pieces of paper, one for each quarter of the year. And so you can see here, I have the first quarter, March, April, May, then in the second quarter, and then continued on. And I used some little codes that I made to kind of decipher what happened in the year. So you can see there was a lot. Maybe you can see now why it took me like three hours to think through all of it and pray through all of it. Um, and one of the things that I did was on some, some of the specific situations that I faced, like when the pandemic was officially declared, I just put a big red T and that represents trauma. I just put a big red T whenever there was trauma that I experienced in that season, in that moment, in that week, whatever, whatever that was. And when I look back on this year, I see a lot of trauma in my life. 
Sometimes the word trauma is a little bit hard for us to use. I think we often compare the idea of trauma with other people and there always are gonna be people in our lives who've had a harder experience than us. That's always gonna be true. But that doesn't mean that you haven't experienced trauma. Very early on when the pandemic had originally started, one of our community members, Lisa Wold, who's a counselor, had done a, a short webinar on tending to trauma. And she talked about how a trauma producing event would be one in which it was unexpected, the person was unprepared, and there was nothing the person could do about it. Were there any things that happened in your life or our lives this year that were unexpected, the person was unprepared, and there was nothing the person could do about it? That's what leads to trauma. And maybe a definition of trauma would be persistent negative effects of experiencing extremely stressful events. Sometimes those effects are depression or anxiety or PTSD or interpersonal problems. And I feel like I've had a little bit of all of those things if I'm just gonna be candid with you this year. I think a lot of people have. It can lead to a deep feeling of fear, helplessness, a sense of impending danger happening all around you. And so this type of trauma is something that I guess based on this definition, I would say we've all experienced in some way. So maybe if it feels hard for you to say, I've experienced trauma out loud, you should wonder about that a little bit because I think most of us have because the pandemic alone, right, was something that was unexpected, that was we were unprepared for and something that most of us had very little we could do about the situation. What does living in hope look like when you've lived a trauma-laced year? What does living in hope look like when you've lived through a trauma-laced year, is the way I'm gonna put it. We're finishing this conversation that we're calling Living in Hope, where we've dug together through the book of Revelation, the last book in the Bible, and I think we're gonna to need to spend some more time in this book next year, what do you think? Because there is so much more than we had time for, and there's something exciting about that coming up that I will share in just a minute. As we've talked about each week of the book of Revelation as we've had this conversation, We've noticed and made sure to note that the original audience, the people in the first century, that beginning of the church, they would be people who had experienced significant trauma in their life. These are people who had ongoing trauma, uh, famine, oppression, poverty. I mean, you could name many things that they've experienced. So this letter of Revelation is speaking right into their situation, right into what they're facing. The book of Revelation is what is called an apocalypse. Okay, you've heard the term apocalypse before. As we've mentioned, apocalyptic does not mean the end of the world, which is what pop culture has often caused it to mean. Apocalypse simply means a revelation or an unveiling, like the book of Revelation. It is revealing something, a revelation that's intended to clarify, explain, or make things known using symbolism. And if you've read through the book of Revelation, you will see tons of symbolism, and that's why we know it is apocalyptic literature. It is an apocalypse. Early church leader, John, gets this symbolic vision, this apocalypse, to help reveal God's heart for these people who are trying to figure out how to live lives that are laced with trauma. In fact, this is what God is trying to communicate to them, to give them the ability to live in hope, that God sees them in their circumstance, but that God is not finished and that brokenness is not the end of the story. So we're at the end of this book now, the vision that John has shared. Uh, we've gone through many chapters. Um, we haven't been able to go in depth in all of them, which is why we need to keep moving through it at least at some point again. But we've talked about how Jesus is talked about in this way as a slain lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And he's also a lion and a lamb, this, this interesting paradox 
this lamb is opening this scroll and on this scroll symbolically is the, the, the description of the end of the story and God's victory. Uh, Ashish talked about this beautiful multi-ethnic community that's following the lamb and worshiping and singing uh, glory to this beautiful vision that, that John is sharing about, about all of these people worshiping God from every tongue and tribe and nation. And then uh, there's these visions that are kind of unpacking what's happening in the, in the scroll, this story. And there's multiple visions, but last week Pastor Mike talked about this dragon and this woman and how in the middle of Revelation there's this nativity story of this woman who is giving birth to a child and this dragon that represents evil and represents the enemy of God is, is trying to, to defeat and take the little baby, but he can't and he's defeated and he's the one who falls to his death. And so now we get to... There's even more there I could go into, but now we get to this final image in the book of Revelation. And I would say if you were listening to this in the first century, maybe as we might read it today, you're ready for a hope-filled conclusion to this story. And that is what they get. Revelation 21 and 22 is definitely that hope-filled conclusion to the story. We're going to watch this two-minute Bible project video, and, I, and you know I love showing you these because you can hear them describe something, but you can also visualize uh, the way that they describe it uh, and actually draw it right there, illustrate it for you. So let's take two minutes just to watch this scene of tw Revelation 21 and 22. The book concludes with a final vision of the marriage of heaven and earth. An angel shows John a stunning bride that symbolizes the new creation that has come forever to join God and his covenant people. God announces that he's come to live with humanity forever and that he's making all things new. John's vision here is a kaleidoscope of Old Testament promises. This place is a new heavens and earth, a restored creation that's healed of the pain and evil of human history. It's also a new garden of Eden, the paradise of eternal life with God. But it's not simply a return back to the garden. It's a step forward into a new Jerusalem, a great city where human cultures and all their diversity work together in peace and harmony before God. And in the most surprising twist of all, there's no temple building in the new creation because the presence of God and the Lamb that were once limited to the temple now permeate every square inch of the new world. And there's a new humanity there fulfilling the calling placed on them all the way back on page one of the Bible to rule as God's image, to partner together with God in taking this creation into new and uncharted territory. And so ends John's apocalypse and the epic storyline of the whole Bible. John did not write this book as a secret code for you to decipher the timetable of Jesus' return. It's a symbolic vision that brought hope and challenge to the seven first century churches and every generation of Christians since. It reveals history's pattern and God's promise that every human kingdom eventually becomes Babylon and must be resisted in the power of the slain lamb. But there's a promise that Jesus, who loved and died for this world, will not let Babylon go unchecked. He will return one day to remove evil from his good world and make all things new. And that is a promise that should motivate faithfulness in every generation of God's people until the king returns. That's what the book of Revelation is all about. I just love how he describes and sums up the book of Revelation at the end of that video. Um, so appreciative to the people at the Bible Project and all of their hard work. So Revelation 21, those first uh, five verses, I would say if you know me well, you would know that these are, are perhaps one of the most meaningful passages of the Bible to me. And so I want to read for you right of the NIV version 
this description of, of what you just saw drawn. But let me read it to you out of the NIV. And I want you to picture it again in your mind. Uh, maybe even close your eyes if you want to. So this is John seeing this vision from the angel. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And obviously it was written down, and that's why we have it here 2,000 years later. So I want to do something that we haven't done for a while, and it's what I call Seminary for Everyone. All right. So if you're new to Seminary for Everyone, Seminary is the name for pastor school where people go to get their graduate degree to prepare to be a pastor like I did, and I teach now at Bethel Seminary in St. Paul. And so it's pastor school, but you're all really smart people. And I don't see any reason why you wouldn't be able to understand something that my students at the seminary can understand. And so today I want to talk about uh, this idea of, of eschatology. The whole book of Revelation is not about the future. But Revelation 21 and 22 is a vision of the future hope of God. So be careful not to assume that all of Revelation is about the end, about the future. But Revelation 21 and 22 are. So when it comes to the end times, uh, the word that we use in theology is eschatology. It basically means a theology that is concerned about the final events of history or the ultimate destiny of humanity. That's what eschatology is. One of the reasons that the, the book of Revelation has been so hard, I think, for us to get our heads around, at least I will admit it's been hard for me at times, is because of all the various ways that pop culture has handled the idea of the end of the world, right? We've got movies and books and TV shows and all of these things going through our minds and heads from the idea of, of the end of the world. But then there's also some, what I would call eschatological perspectives or theological lenses, some ways in which people have developed ideas and theologies over just the last couple hundred years that I would say are inconsistent perspectives. So when we talk about this, uh, when Dr. John Dunn, John Dunn and I talk about this, we just say this is not very consistent with the big picture that we see in the story of God. One of those perspectives, which is very popular, has been come to be called the rapture. This idea that when Jesus returns to the earth, he's going to take us away from this earth to another location, and uh, this earth will be left behind and some people will be left behind. Perhaps you've heard this concept. This is what led to the very popular book and movie series, Left Behind. Perhaps some of you have seen it. If you've seen it, you can let me know in the chat. Most of us have if you were around my age or maybe a little bit older. This, this, this whole book and, and movie and series and all this kind of stuff was built off of this, what I would call, unhelpful perspective in theology. So the authors were very honest that it was fiction, but the undergirding theology that they were working with, I would say, seems to contradict this vision that we just read about, this grand conclusion in Revelation 21 and 22. So I'm just going to have to say sorry to any Kirk Cameron fans out there. Kirk Cameron was the main character in the Left Behind movies. Uh, so sorry to any of you, but as Dr. John Dunn and I were chatting about it this week, this is how he put it. He said, I think we need to leave behind Left Behind. Wah, wah. <laughs> because it's not helping us think well 
about eschatology. As we read that vision in Revelation 21, Jesus is the one who returns to this earth to make all things new. Not to make all new things, right? Not to start over, but to restore what's already here. That's that vision, that's that picture. That conclusion, in some ways, that we just read in Revelation is the beginning, a whole new beginning, right? That, that God is going to lead with humans and continue to co-create this restored world, that picture that you saw in the end of the video. So we don't have time to go too deep into this, um, but in 1 Thessalonians 4, there's this passage about people being caught up in the air with Jesus when he returns, and that's where the rapture theology often comes from. And this, I would suggest, is not about escapism the way rapture th theology would suggest. Rather, it's a common first century image that when a king was riding back home into the city, victorious in battle, the whole community would run out to meet the victorious king and usher the king back to the city, victorious and celebrating. Jesus will return victorious. That's what we see in the very last few chapters of Revelation, riding on a white horse as the king, right? And the vision is that his people will ride out to meet him or fly up, you know, as, the, as he comes down to usher him back into the victorious restoration project where he will fully restore all these things, what we see in Revelation 21. And so this idea of people ushering Jesus back to the city as a victorious king fits in really well from 1 Thessalonians, fits in really well and is consistent with the picture we just read in Revelation 21. That's what I mean about having a consistent eschatology. So clearly there's way more we could talk about here. And if you're interested in this subject, which I am, I would be, I'm really happy to announce that in February, Dr. John Dunn is going to offer and loan his PhD to us, his PhD in New Testament, so that he's going to lead an equipping hour class on the book of Revelation. So mark that in your calendars. We'll have more information about that in 2021. But here's the important takeaway for all of us. It's critical that we see that God is not going to wipe out this world. It's critical that we see that, that God is not going to start over and start from scratch. Because when Jesus returns to be the, the culmination of this project, to, to complete the project, to have a final and complete restoration, we would live differently if we believed that this place was not going to continue on, wouldn't we? I want you to think about that. I think our eschatology really matters for how we live now. When Jesus returns to finish this project, it says he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order has passed away. But then he says, I am making everything new. Once again, not making all new things. I'm not going to start over and make all new things. I'm going to restore everything that already exists, including you and me. But here we are now. We're in what I sometimes refer to as the messy middle, right? Where God's restoration project has started, but it's kind of a mess right now, right? Our lives are laced with trauma, as I just said. There's plenty of death. There's plenty of mourning. It's terrible. There is a lot of tears. I'm going to tell you this year, I would either laugh until I cried or cried until I laughed because that felt like the only options, honestly. Sometimes I was crying when I knew I should be laughing and sometimes I was laughing when I knew I should be crying. Please tell me, some of you can empathize with my emotions just being all over the place. So how do we live in hope that this restoration project truly is happening all around us? Because it doesn't always look like it, does it? I'm going to give you an illustration. As I mentioned earlier, my husband JD and I bought this new house. And as I was talking to JD this week about this conversation in Revelation 21, 
he pointed out that our experience with this house is kind of like a little snapshot of the messy middle reality that we're living in in our world, trying to find hope as we wait for Jesus' final advent, his final arrival, as we wait in the messy middle for Jesus to return to make all things new. And I also think that are you even a real pastor if you're having a house remodel and you don't make that a sermon illustration? So here we, here we go. If, I'm going to tell you the story and you let me know and you can let JD know if he was right that this was a good illustration of what we're talking about. <laughs> okay, so we bought this house. Uh, it's new to us, but it is not a new house. This house is over 70 years old. It's only new to us, but we were excited, of course, like you always are. And we walked into the house. It looked pretty move-in ready. In fact, looked at some of these pictures. You can see it looks pretty great. They put in some new carpet, painted the walls, not the color I would want, but that doesn't matter. And so we bought the house and we thought there's maybe a few updates we could make. Now, some of you know a little bit of the story, so you're already probably teasing me, but we thought we'd make a few updates before we moved in. I love those types of projects. I really do. And even with what I'm about to share, I am still so thankful that I have the fun projects, okay? So just keep that in mind. So we have now, however, come to find out many what I'm calling old house surprises. If you have ever been involved in an old house in your life, you know what an old house surprise is. So let me just mention a few of them to you. We tore down a small wall, relatively small, to reveal pretty odd placement for the HVAC vents for the heat. And then I opened a cabinet to discover at some point someone thought that this would be an appropriate heat source for the kitchen, coming right out of one of the kitchen cabinets that they tried to vent, apparently. As soon as we touched any of the electrical wires, they sort of disintegrated is the best word. <laughs> so basically, a ton of the wires on the first floor needed to be replaced. <laughs> there were not one, not two, not three, but four layers of flooring on the kitchen. And when we took all four layers out, the subfloor was so messed up that one of my feet nearly went through the subfloor and into the basement. The floor in the main level bathroom was a mess too, so we had to pull all the flooring out. And now we have a toilet in the living room, hopefully not permanently. But JD thought it would be convenient for watching sports. And I told him I did not think that was funny given the circumstances, okay? Finally, if all of those old house surprises weren't enough, our new neighbors, nicely let us know that though it was two years ago, the previous owner of the home passed away in the living room. This is a true story, my friends. So this house is a mess, okay? It looked good. The pictures always look good on the real estate websites. But just beneath the surface, just beneath the surface of it all, there is a lot that needs to be repaired. And though we might need to eat like just peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for like all of 2021 to be able to afford all the repairs. <laughs> of course, we're going to do the work, right? We're going to restore it. We are going to do the work and be thankful that we have a house to work on in the first place. And I mean that. We are so thankful. Okay, but scale this image out, this, this image of this old house. Uh, scale it out to this big, old, broken world. At one point, it was new to us, right? If you're a, if you're a kiddo or a teenager, it is still kind of new to you. But you, come, you arrive on the scene and you realize a lot of damage has been done before you even got here. And it's a mess. Beneath the surface, the metaphorical wires are disintegrating. Things aren't put together right. And metaphorically, things, uh, heat is coming out of the wrong place, right? There's a toilet in the living room. That sounds to me like a good analogy for the way humans treat each other. I don't really think that makes sense. But misplaced toilets seems to me to sound like whatever I heard on the news this morning, you know? 
if we were going to leave this broken world and go to another one and watch in the rearview mirror as this one burned up or, I don't know, got thrown away or whatever people might imagine is happening, then why would we try to restore anything? Why would we try to, to fix anything or restore anything? But that isn't what's going to happen. Jesus is going to return here to restore all that is here. And so in the meantime, we join God's spirit now to restore some of what is broken. Even when it costs a lot of money and it takes a lot of time, we start to join in this restoration project because we know that the full restoration is to come. And it matters what we do now because this place is the place that's going to be fully restored. That's why how we see the end of the story really matters. When we start knocking down the walls of our world, proverbial walls of our world, like racial justice, for instance, or other injustices. And we find out when we tear those walls down that there's a ton of really dangerous realities and it looks worse than it did before. Almost like maybe we shouldn't have torn those walls down in the first place. But you see, when I tore the walls down in this new house, I found those bad wires. And it seemed to me like, oh man, things were getting worse. But they weren't getting worse, right? Because those bad wires were there all along. I just didn't know they were there. And now that I've seen them, I can't pretend that I didn't see those destroyed and frayed materials. Now I know, and I can start to do something about it. Now we know, in a different way, some of the injustices of this world. We've seen it with our own eyes. The structures are not okay. The wires are a fire hazard, and we have so much that we need to restore. And all of that would seem so out of reach if it were up to us alone. But as we've talked about so many times this year, with the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, we can see wrong things made right before our eyes right now. And with the hope of that future restoration, it can keep us going, that Jesus is going to return victorious. And so even though it feels like some of the battles are lost around us, or they actually are lost, Jesus will defeat evil and Jesus will restore all things. But in the meantime, we have to live in hope, even in the midst of trauma, even in the midst of tears. I'm not really sure if you're a New Year's resolution person, but I've got three New Year's resolutions for you today as we head into 2021. And some of you are like, that's not how it works, Pastor Steph. You don't tell us what our resolutions are. But you know what? Here it is. You can decide to take them or leave them, okay? So resolution number one, to live in hope in 2021 we're going to have to look around and join Jesus' restoration right around you. Look around and join the restoration work of Jesus right around you. I had a conversation with one of our community members this week, and he said something that I bet a lot of us feel. He said, I look around, and when it's, we talk about loving our neighbor, now that we have so much access to media, and, and, and I've got my neighbors that live next to me, and I can see all this hurt and pain all over the world, it's so overwhelming because where do I even start? And we had such a good conversation, but during the conversation, he said, you know, there's some people on my mind and I, it's like I can't get it out of my mind. I just keep thinking about how they brought up a need that they had and I just want to figure out how I can meet that need. And I said to him, that's it. That's how we know. When we start to listen to the Holy Spirit and we say, Jesus, where is the wrong things right around me? Where are the wrong things right around me that I can help make right? Today, tomorrow. What are the, the, the global issues that I feel most drawn to? Where is the, the, the discontent that I have in my life that I know that might actually be something God has put on my heart? Look around and join in Jesus' restoration right around you. As I shared in announcements, in 2021, we're going to launch this all-church initiative to figure out how to join God's restorative work when it comes to 
the homelessness and affordable housing crisis here in our city. There's going to be ways for everyone to join in, and we want to know if you want to be on that steering team. But the, the reality is when it comes to joining in God's restoration, we don't have to do everything, but everyone has to do something because we get to be a part of that restoration, knowing that what we are joining in with God in now will be fully restored someday. So, number one, to live in hope in 2021, we look around and join Jesus' restoration right around you. Second, to live in hope in 2021, you need to tend to your trauma, to use the phrase that, that Lisa Wold, the counselor, had used. To live in hope in 2021, we need to tend to our trauma. We can't go into this new year pretending like when the ball drops, the problems of 2020 won't come with us into 2021. Of course they will. So sorry if I was the first person to tell you that. <laughs> I'm sure I wasn't. There was this meme that I saw online that said, 2021, just be cool. But you know what? It's not going to be cool because that's not how it is. Remember, we're in the messy middle. There's going to be trauma in 2021 as well. And so here's just some steps for, I would say, how to tend to your trauma, okay? First of all, we need to acknowledge that there's been some trauma. I don't know, maybe you need to do a timeline or something like this to say, what is this trauma we need to tend to? And you might need to just write it down and, and be honest about it. And maybe you need to put one of these big red T's just to say, I've experienced trauma this year. Acknowledge the trauma, but know you're not alone because at least you're along, you're with me as someone who has experienced some trauma this year, that's for sure. So secondly, know that you're not alone. Third, examine the trauma. Take the trauma and put it out in front of you and examine it and say, what is it that I've experienced? How has it affected me? How has it affected my relationships? How has it caused my emotions to feel? How has it affected other things in my life, my work? And be honest about how you've experienced it. And then take action to move through the pain that it's brought. Moving through that pain does not mean it goes away necessarily, but figuring out how to process it. The best way is to talk about it with somebody else, somebody who's safe, somebody who can help hold that space with you. It could be a good friend, it might need to be a counselor, a therapist. I mentioned earlier, millcitychurch.com care. We've got a great list of counselors that you could check out. But we need to start being able to name it and talk about it with other people. That's how we take action to process it. And then finally, we can't expect that trauma is just going to go away. That's what we all want. But maybe it's better to acknowledge that when we experience things like that, it shapes us. It changes us. And in some ways, it will be a part of developing long-term perseverance in our lives. And so instead of trying to say, can it just go away? Can I just forget about it and never have to experience it again? You're not going to totally forget it. But if we process through it, God can use it in our life to build resilience and perseverance in our lives. That is, that is true. We see that psychologically only when people tend to their trauma. So to live in hope in 2021, tend to your trauma. And then third and finally, my resolution, take it or leave it. To live in hope in 2021 is to trust that God is Emmanuel. As we've sung over the Advent season, right? The, the God with us or the with us God. Trust that God is Emmanuel all year long. God is with you. You aren't alone. Let me tell you a few things. It is normal to doubt. It is normal to feel unsure when you experience trauma about who God says God is. In hard times, it is normal to feel those feelings of doubt come up in your life. It's normal not to feel like God is with you all the time, even if you intellectually believe or want to trust that it's true. But it is an opportunity for us to try to pursue God in the midst of it, 
to, to, to go through our life like so many people who have been Jesus followers in their life, who've experienced feeling far from God or feeling doubt, that's okay. But it's a wrestling that God invites us to pursue and to wrestle and to reach out and to seek God in the midst of those times. So come what may in 2021, will we be people who lived empowered by the Holy Spirit to tend to our trauma, to join in God's restoration wherever we can, and to know deep within ourselves that we are never alone. For the last few years, the last song we have sung together at the end of the year is a song called All Glory Be to Christ. It's come to be a very meaningful song to me, as Ashish knows. And so again this year, Ashish will sing it to close our service and to close out our year together. It describes this second coming of Jesus that we all long for so deeply when we realize how much restoration there is still left to do. So let me close by reading one verse of the lyrics. When on the day the great I am, the faithful and the true, the lamb who was for sinners slain is making all things new. Behold, our God shall live with us and be our steadfast light, and we shall ere his people be. All glory be to Christ. Christ.